Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Katie Bishop is the author of The Girls of Summer, a novel. Katie is a writer and journalist based in Birmingham in the UK. She has written for the New York Times, The Guardian, Vogue, The Independent, and other publications. The Girls of Summer is her first novel. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your novel, The Girls of Summer. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I love the podcast, so I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Well, I love the book and I've been shouting it from the rooftops. It's so good. It's so interesting and different and immersive and... I don't know. I relate to like, it's like the two sides of everybody's life, right? When you're older and then you're younger and looking back and reckoning with what you have and what you didn't have. And I don't know, I the way you write too and the suspense, I, it, it's great. It's just great. Oh, thank you so much. You've just, you've said kind of everything that I wanted people to think about it there. So thank you oh, so much. No problem. Okay. Why don't you tell listeners what the book is about? Yeah. So the way that I would probably describe The Girls of Summer is it's a kind of one that got away story with a bit of a Me Too twist to it. So it's about a woman called Rachel and she's in her mid thirties and she's quite settled. She's married. She's got a job that she likes. 
Um, but she's also quite unhappy because she's never really been able to let go of the memories of this magical summer that she had back when she was uh, 17, backpacking around the Greek islands. And in particular, a relationship that she had at the time with a guy called Alistair, who was about 15 years older than her. And when we first meet Rachel, she is going back to this beautiful, isolated Greek island where she spent that summer with her husband, Tom. And when she's there, she has a chance encounter with a woman that she used to know back then. And this really sends her spiralling back into all these incredible memories of that summer when she was making friends and partying and drinking. And kind of most importantly to her, having this relationship with this guy who she still really considers to be her first love. And she decides that she actually wants to track him down. And we really go along on that journey with Rachel as she kind of searches for Alistair, but also reconnects with all of these people from her past. And as she does, she slowly starts to realise that maybe her memories of that summer weren't quite how she's always been remembering them. And actually, maybe even how she perceived things, how they're actually going on at the time, wasn't exactly what was actually happening. So interesting. I love it. The characters are so great. I, I think I'm particularly... I mean her two relationships, which we as readers sort of inhale simultaneously, right? Alistair and Tom and how mm-hmm. that one is so full of passion and one is so full of comfort and and what both things give you. And it's like the two sides of every relationship, really. It's just, these have been completely sort of bifurcated in a way. Mm-hmm. Anyway, tell me about how you came up with this idea. Why are you writing this book? Tell me about you. Go, tell me everything. I want to hear it all. <laughs> Yeah, well, I actually started writing the book at the start of the first lockdown in the UK, which I think really comes through once you know that and you're reading it, because like everyone else, I was just stuck at home in my living room thinking, I really want to go on holiday. And I couldn't go on holiday. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll write a book about this kind of beautiful beautiful location that feels kind of very escapist and just kind of felt quite freeing for me to write at that time. But also I think as you're reading this, you probably picked up on this, there is an enormous kind of sense of claustrophobia to that island setting, which I think, again, when you know that I wrote it when I was stuck indoors, that all starts to make a little bit of sense. But the place that the idea for the book really came from, I'd been working on another book that was not going so well. And I felt like I needed something that was just a bit bit lighter and a little bit more escapist, which is quite funny because if you read the book, that is not how the book turned out. It's much darker than I originally planned it. But I was thinking, okay, I'd really like to write this kind of one that got away story. It's going to have this beautiful escapist setting. And so that was kind of one of the ideas behind the book. But at the same time, it had been a few years since the Me Too movement had really taken hold. And I just spent so much of that time just having conversations with friends, uh, just thinking about my own experiences. And it was almost like there was this kind of collective horror and this collective reckoning when women were looking back at their experiences, particularly kind of formative romantic and sexual experiences. And we were having all these conversations and people, it was almost like everyone's eyes were being opened to the way things actually were at the time and how, you know, we would have talked about things and maybe even laughed things off that happened to them. And now through this sharp lens of the Me Too movement, we were all thinking, wow, that was that was actually really bad. And that really wasn't how I perceived it at the time. But actually, you know, now I'm looking at it as an adult and with this new way of looking at it, things were feeling just very different, I think. So I thought, what if those two ideas came together? And what if there was this amazing one that got away story and this great first love that had really shaped a lot of your life since and really you'd base many things in your life around it since? What if that was the romance that you were then looking back on and thinking, wow, that actually wasn't what it seemed to me at the time. So that was really the core of the idea. Question about the house, like the 
Henry Clark, is that his name? Henry? Henry Taylor. Henry Taylor. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Henry Taylor. His house and everything that happens and like walking through and like the wet footsteps and just all of it. It's so, it's also real. Like everything on the island seems to me like crystal clear in my head, having read the book. Did you find actual houses? Like, is it all your imagination or were you, did you see a house on Zillow or I don't even know? Like, did you, how did you craft to where everybody was living and the bar? And like, it was, there's such a sense of scene. I feel like this is like a movie that I saw in my brain. Oh, I'm so glad you thought that. To be honest, so much of it was my imagination again, just because it was lockdown and we were so limited in how much we could travel. Uh, I would have loved to have done an amazing research trip to Greece and gone and kind of looked at these beautiful villas and all these beaches and bars and stuff, but I just couldn't at the time. So a lot of it did come from my imagination. I had been to Greek islands a few times, and in particular, I did have a, a trip to a Greek island with a group of female friends when I was about, I think, probably about 1920. And definitely the bar was really drawn from that experience. But I think also more than that, more than the actual kind of settings or looking for particular buildings or basing it on a particular resort or anything like that, it was really more about capturing that feeling that I think I felt at the time and that I think a lot of people have felt where, you know, it's maybe your first time traveling, your first time away from home without your parents, your first trip with friends, whatever it is. There's this kind of enormous sense of possibility and everything just feels kind of heightened and everything feels exciting. And I think the setting was really important to me in portraying that because it really did have to feel magical and it really did have to feel like Rachel was going to do things that she wouldn't necessarily do back home. Interesting. Tell me more about the marriage to Tom and all of those, you you talk a lot about all the unwritten things, unwritten language or what the things that are not said, but are so easily expressed between partners who have been together for a while and the looks Mm -hmm. across the dinner party table or, you know, that you can feel when things are thick at home and twist, you know, after, you know, tense situations and all of that. Talk to me about how you got so deep into that particular relationship. Yeah, that was a relationship that I really enjoyed writing, which is interesting because it's not I think if people were thinking about the book, it's not necessarily the core relationship that people would think of. Obviously, this relationship between Rachel and Alistair feels so much bigger and so much more romantic to her at the time. Whereas the relationship with her and Tom is really such a contrast to that. Mm -hmm. Um, She meets him when she is kind of in her mid-twenties. He's a little bit older than her, but not much, just a few, you know, three or four years, something like that. And yeah, he's a really safe place for her, I guess. She kind of falls into this relationship without really meaning to. There's no kind of enormous grand gesture or really, you know, beautiful falling in love period. She really does just feel like she falls into the relationship. And even though she does love Tom and she's happy with him, and kind of, as you said, they've got that that really beautiful kind of unspoken language that couples have where, you know, you can look at someone across the room at a party and they're like, you can tell in their eyes, they're like, mm, should we leave? And you're like, yes, yeah, we, we'll, we'll leave. And you've had that whole conversation without actually saying anything. So they've got all of that stuff. But I think for Rachel and the point in in her life that she's at, that relationship to her has kind of started to represent something different. And that safety has started to feel a little bit suffocating. And even though she is really in love with Tom, she's so drawn back to this time in her life where, again, everything just felt really, really possible. And I think that's something a lot of women experience. In the novel, Rachel is, she's in her mid-30s. I was a bit younger when I was writing it, actually. I was kind of in my late 20s when I started writing the book. 
But I think it's something a lot of women in their 20s and 30s experience where you've gone from this place where you're in your late teens, your early 20s, where the world just feels so open to you and it feels like every avenue is open to you. And, you know, that could be maybe you do want to get married and have children or maybe you want to go and live abroad. Maybe you want to live in a big city like New York or London or maybe, you know, there's, it's almost like every option is open to you. You could still do all of those things. And as you get older, you just slowly start to feel like your possibilities are narrowing down to you because you have to make choices and those might be choices that you're really happy with Um, in Rachel's particular case she's actually not very happy with her choices but even if you're happy with your choices and you're happy with your life by default you have still ruled things out right and I think for Rachel that's something that she's really struggling with and that relationship with Tom for her really represents the choice that she's made, which means that all of those other avenues and kind of the person that she felt like she was when she had all those possibilities just doesn't really exist to her anymore. Yes. And you wrote about that so well. I feel like you you. also, you captured sort of aging in general, right? Like not just the, that the paths have been set a little bit more, but just what it means to grapple with life when you are when you're not looking or feeling as good as you were, you know, you, mm-hmm. you know, when Rachel thinks back, you know, was it longing for her youthful body and her skin and, you know, even Alistair, like what he was like, like he, everybody ages, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like the reflections on aging were so profound and yet you're so young, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, these are really good. How is she doing this? Like she's uh, reading my mind in some of these areas and yet she's like very, very young. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm glad that you like those parts. Yeah, there was, it was something that I really wanted to draw on because I think that something that was really important in kind of getting across the dynamics of that relationship with Alistair is that as she gets older, Rachel feels like, you know, the body that she had when she was 17 and the way that she looked and that kind of, yeah, that kind of just zest for life was a, a really powerful thing. And I think she feels like there was enormous power in youth and that's something that she's lost as she's got older. But then of course, so the novel is of course written in a dual timeline. So we see Rachel's thoughts as an adult and then we also see Rachel's thoughts as a teenager and we kind of switch between them. So we can really see the contrast between them. And of course, as the novel goes on, you sort of slowly start to realise that that power that Rachel felt like she had was partly an illusion at the time and also partly something that she's really applied to the situation in hindsight. And actually the lack of power that you actually have when you're that young was really something that people were able to take advantage of at the time. So take me back to your life a little bit. Like, where did you come from? When did you get into writing? Where does this book fit within the whole trajectory of your career? Give me a little more insight. Yeah. So, well, I'm from the UK. You can probably tell from my accent. Um, So I am someone who I've always, always loved to, to read and write. I was, you know, I kind of don't remember a time when I didn't write. And it's, it's quite funny when you go to my parents' house now, there's, they've still got boxes and boxes of just exercise books I filled up when I was a kid of all these stories that I was writing and, and all of these things. But I feel like, like a lot of people, it kind of falls away a little bit when you get older. And I still really knew that I loved reading and I love writing, but I just never, it didn't feel like a career that was really open to me. It was just, I, I didn't really think I was good enough, I think. So I went and I studied English literature at university and then graduated and kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I think like many people do. Uh, so I worked in a supermarket for a year and then, well, to save money to go backpacking, essentially, um, which again, you can see a lot of the inspiration for the book kind of comes from my many travels I had in my early 20s. So I went backpacking for a while, came back, kind of still didn't really know what I wanted to do, decided that I wanted to go into publishing. 
And I ended up working in academic publishing, which wasn't really exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be working on the fun books, working on the fiction. But I did that for a few years, wasn't kind of particularly happy doing it. So I started just kind of playing around with with writing and it was kind of just unlocking this skill that I really hadn't used for such a long time because, yeah, since I was a kid, really, I hadn't really tried writing very much stuff. So I started working on a novel and I also at the same time started doing a little bit of freelance journalism, which again was just kind of just a way of kind of flexing those writing muscles, I guess. That kind of took off a little bit. So I decided to go part-time at my job, which I timed absolutely terribly because I went part-time and that was when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden oh, I didn't no. have any journalism work. Yeah, it was a total nightmare. And I've been I've been gearing up to do it and kind of talking myself into doing it for such a long time. And then literally as soon as I did it, pandemic. So I decided to, I've been writing this as a novel. I'd been trying to get an agent. It wasn't working out. So I thought, right, I've got this kind of extra day a week now that I was going to spend doing journalism. I'm not going to be doing that anymore. So I thought, you know what? I need to try and make the best of this time. And that was when I started writing The Girls of Summer. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Wow. And then what was the process like of getting the agent and getting it sold and getting to this point? 
Mm, well, it was a bit of a dream process of writing, which is, yeah, it was, I was really lucky with it because with that first book I tried to write, it had been a real, real struggle. It took me about four years to write and about 12 drafts, which I hate redrafting. So it was a total nightmare for me. But with The Girls of Summer, I just kind of sat down and wrote it really quickly. Uh, I wrote it in probably about eight or nine months and I finished it and I thought, okay, right, you know, I've been here before. I know how this works. I'm probably, you know, I've got another 11 drafts to go now probably. But I sat down near edit and I was actually quite happy with it, how it was done. So I did do a few edits, probably spent two or three months editing and then was kind of ready to send it out to agents. And I did a little shortlist of, you know, my top seven agents sent it out to them again because I've been through the process before of trying to get an agent I thought okay here we go will be you know months several rounds of submission but pretty quickly almost every agent got back to me and said they wanted to see the full manuscript so I was quite quickly feeling like okay this is going better than than the last time and had an offer from a few agents decided to go with my agent who is Ariella Finer at United Agents who just really stood out to me right from the start she's brilliant very lucky to be working with her And then the process of getting a publishing deal was kind of equally fast and (laughs) equally as much to a whirlwind as well. So she sent me over some notes to work on, some edits, kind of nothing major, but a fair bit of work. And I was working two jobs at the time, so was quite busy. She kind of said, you know, take a few months to do it. And then a few days later, she called me and she said, it's kind of occurred to me that publishing is going to be shutting down quite soon because it kind of shuts down a little bit over summer. And because the book is so topical, I'm worried that someone else is going to come along who's maybe done something similar. And I don't think she had anyone specific in mind, but I just think she thought, you know, it was tied to the Me Too movement, very, very topical, that it was kind of bound to happen. So she said, I think we should get it out before publishing shuts down and it shuts down at the end of this week. So she said, right, do you think you can edit this entire book in a week? And I was like, I will give it a go. (laughs) So I just had this crazy, crazy, almost, I mean, it feels like a fever dream now this week when I was just having no sleep and just writing and trying to fix it and on the phone to my agent constantly. And yeah, I, I somehow managed it and we sent it out to publishers at the end of that week. And within a few days, we had multiple preempts in the UK. And yeah, I got my US deal again within a few days, which I've got a fantastic editor in the US, which is Sarah Canton at St. Martin's Press, and she's brilliant. So I, it was all just such a dream experience. I was, I, I still can't, it was two years ago, and I still can't quite believe how lucky I was. That's amazing. I love hearing success stories because they do inspire everybody to just keep going because you never know. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes those first books, it's not a waste of time. Like you would never have gotten to the second book without that first book, 12 drafts, you know, like... Yeah, The Girls of Summer wouldn't definitely wouldn't have been the book that it turned out being if it wasn't for that first book. And I'm just so glad that both I decided to scrap that first book in the first place and didn't kind of keep on trying with it when it wasn't really going anywhere. And also just really glad I didn't give up after that first book as well. It's so funny because, you know, I do this podcast, I get tons of books and, you know, it looked really good. And I was like, okay, I'll put it in the read pile. Then I read a little bit and I was like, yes, this is in the, I want to have a podcast with her pile. And then I forget, like when I start reading, I forget the plots. Like I don't look at the back. I just like go in cold kind of and know that I, there was something about it that I was interested in. Anyway, I started reading it. I was like, 
wait, wait, wait. This is so, this is really good. You know, <laughs> and now that you're saying this whole thing, I'm like, oh my gosh, there was like preamps and auctions and all this stuff. And usually like that's a tip off of like, it's going to be really great. But I feel like I discovered this on my own because I didn't, <laughs> which of course I didn't, but I was like, okay. Anyway, sometimes it's just such a great feeling to find yourself in the midst of a great book. It's just, it just doesn't get old. I don't know why. It's like ridiculous. It just doesn't get old. Oh, well, I'm so glad that you felt like that about the girls this summer. Anyway, what are you working on now? I'm working on a second book, but it is going solo. So this is the thing. I had this dream, dream experience with writing the girls this summer. Yeah, thought that I would go in and start writing the second book and I'd feel the same. But the experience of writing the second book so far has been much more akin to, to that first book. I've actually now written and scrapped a couple of drafts. Well, I say a couple of drafts, like a couple of books, really. So I'm now kind of onto my third idea, which feels a bit crazy. But again, because I have had that experience of writing a book and scrapping it before, I do feel kind of quite comfortable with keeping on going. And, you know, you've, you've got to find that right idea and you've got to have the thinking time, I think. So I feel like I'm in a good place now where I've got an idea that I'm really excited about and I'm working on it and I'm really enjoying working on it. I think that's that's another good thing. You can tell when people are... I think you can tell in the books when the writers are having fun writing the books. Mm. You know, I feel like it comes through versus like really struggling and this was a journey. I don't know. I think you can you can feel it. It's like when you yeah. go to a restaurant and like you or somebody cooks a meal for you and you know they love you and so it tastes different. You know, oh, what I mean? that's so true. I love that comparison. That's so nice. Anyway, I think you can tell a little bit. <laughs> what advice would you have for aspiring authors? So I have a couple of bits of advice I tell people who are aspiring authors. My first one is probably really obvious, but it's just to read as much as you possibly can. I don't have any kind of formal writing education. You know, I haven't done a master's or a work like workshops or anything like that. And I just think the best way to learn how to write is just read as much as you can. And even if you're reading things that you don't like, you're still kind of learning the kind of writer that you want to be. So I think that's really important. And then my second bit of advice, which is a bit more of an unconventional one, and it's one that I know if someone had told me it when I was an aspiring writer, I would have hated it, but I think it's true. I think you need to treat your first manuscript that you write as a practice manuscript, which mm -hmm. is really hard to get your head around because I think when you're writing your first manuscript, you love it so much and you're kind of pouring your heart into it. But I think that it just takes so much of the pressure off to just think this is a practice run it's all about learning actually how to write a novel in the first place. Because the, the biggest thing that kills off creativity is that pressure of being like, right, this is my one shot of writing a novel. This is the one that I'm going to try and get a book deal with, kind of all of that stuff. And I also think we have a really weird way of looking at novels as well, where we think the first one that people write, that is going to be the one that gets them an amazing book deal that, you know, becomes a bestseller, whatever. Whereas I think you really you need to actually learn how to write a novel first. You'd never expect like Leonardo da Vinci's first painting to be the Mona Lisa, you know? So I just think you need to treat it as a practice run. And then, you know, if you finish it and you're happy with it and you want to send it out to agents and you get a book deal with it and all of that good stuff, amazing. But if you don't, it's already achieved exactly what you set out to do, which is just to teach you something about the kind of writer you are and the kind of book that you want to write and just how to write a book in the first place. Interesting. And I'm just curious, like, what is your relationship like with your parents? Because I feel like Rachel's relationship with her parents was another sort of central feature, that, like a through line. Tell me about that, if you don't mind. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, my parents are great. They're really supportive. Um, obviously, you know, we clashed when I was a teenager, probably the age that Rachel was, as most people clashed with their parents. 
But yeah, they're great. They're both teachers and they both love reading. So they really, really inspired that love of reading in me. And as you can imagine, as people who love reading, they're just absolutely thrilled about this whole book deal and the book coming out. They're so excited. But yeah, I think for Rachel, it was really important that she had that really distant relationship with her parents, because again, that means that she she has that desire to kind of put as much distance between her home life, which, you know, her parents live in the suburbs. She just views it as very kind of staid, very boring. It means that she wants more and it means that she kind of wants to put as much distance between them and herself as possible. And I think some of what she does and some of the situations that she gets into and the relationships that she builds with people is about that just backlash against her parents. I think many of us feel at that age. Yep, that makes sense. Amazing. And just what do you like to do when you're not writing when you are free to not be in your apartment all the time and <laughs> I mean I do, do I do a lot of reading as you might expect well, yes, um, yes. I also do a lot of yoga I love yoga and kind of exercise classes things like that I think sometimes when your job is so in your head you need just things that are in your body just for that contrast mm-hmm. and also I really love cooking and baking which I think is kind of it's a creative outlet in a way but it's such a different creative outlet to writing and it's so low pressure and you know if you burn whatever you're making no one really cares because you can just order a takeaway so (laughs) I love having that just low pressure creative outlet as well excellent amazing and final thing are you reading anything great now or do you have a favorite book to recommend so the book that I have read recently that I've enjoyed the most is The School for Good Mothers by Jessamyn Chan Mm -hmm. Um, I just think it had such a good hook to it and it's just really beautiful writing at the same time as being just really propulsive which I think is quite a difficult balance to achieve and then the book that I've just been recommending to absolutely everyone since I read it is The Paper Palace by Miranda I love that book isn't it amazing it's so great that was another book I shouted from the rooftops like (laughs) two years ago when it came out was it two years yeah it's so good so it's absolutely beautiful and it it plays with a lot of things that I'm really interested in that I you know want to do the girls of summer in terms of thinking about memory and kind of a big event that changed your life and looking back on that and the big thing for me as well is setting is such a huge huge thing with books if a book's got a really kind of beautiful evocative setting I mean I could probably just read a book length description of a setting and I would be happy so this setting for that is just incredible and it's so powerful and it just plays so perfectly into the themes of the novel yeah let's just jettison plot all together who needs plot <laughs> let's just who needs characters if only people would buy that that is all I would write so. <laughs> is this going to be a movie have you sold the rights no we haven't sold the rights yet but I mean a lot of people have said that they can really imagine it as a film so obviously I'm hopeful if there's any film producers listening you know <laughs> I would love to hear from you and saying it's been compared to a lot is the white lotus which I can't think of a high compliment I love the white lotus so yeah I could definitely imagine it as a film or tv series but yeah nothing yet so okay Amazing. Awesome. Katie, thank you so much. Thanks for the great book and and the great chat. So good luck. I'll be following along. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for making the time to speak to me and thank you for being such a brilliant supporter of the book. No problem. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Imagine the 
softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.